Hey, podcast family. I thought we had put this discussion to bed back in 2018. You see, ACOG actually addressed what we're talking about in this episode in its practice bulletin number 197, which was back in July of 2018. But I guess I was wrong. Let me explain. Just about two weeks ago, I received a text from one of our very smart, very intelligent interns. And the text went something like this. Hey, Dr. Chaba, I have a patient with recurrent pregnancy loss. And I just wanted to make sure I get the labs correct. So in in discussing these things, one of the tests came up as inherited thrombophilia. And of course, I almost lost it. Okay, now I'm going to explain why. And I really want to know, send me a message. Hey, do you guys offer inherited thrombophilia evaluation for your patients with recurrent pregnancy loss? Let me know. Because uh, again, this is a, a very confusing topic. But it really shouldn't be. That's the weird thing about it. There is an answer for whether or not we should be looking for inherited thrombophilia as part of recurrent pregnancy loss. And even the term recurrent pregnancy loss can be super confusing. So let me put this out there as a little teaser before we get into the body of of the episode. Is recurrent pregnancy loss something that happens after two losses or is it three? And do they have to be consecutive? In other words, if a patient has one spontaneous loss in the first trimester, gets pregnant with the second and has a healthy term delivery, and then the third pregnancy is a loss, is that recurrent pregnancy loss? See, there's a lot of confusion about this, and a lot of it has been self-inflicted. And a lot of this has to do with where we live. Ooh, good stuff. So in this episode, we're going to discuss recurrent pregnancy loss, focusing on inherited thrombophilia. And as you can guess from the title, stop checking for inherited thrombophilia just to try to explain recurrent pregnancy loss. We're going to get into a lot of data, including a new publication that came out just two months ago in The Lancet that tried to settle this once and for all. So now let's get into recurrent pregnancy loss. Stop checking for this. And by this, of course, we mean inherited thrombophilia. Here we go, guys. Medicine moves real fast. We're here to help us all keep up the pace. This is Clinical Pearls. Well, let's kind of start here with the definition of this whole thing because it can get kind of confusing, but it really isn't, I promise, okay? Now, I know that it's fall, and every fall, some of our podcast family listeners are getting ready to do their oral board exam, so here's a great little review for everyone, okay? So if your uh, oral uh, board investigator, uh, reviewer, um, starts to ask you, hey, um, how do you explain recurrent pregnancy loss? Please don't do the first thing, which is go, um, because um is just a kiss of death. Nothing ever good comes after um. It just isn't, it's just not appropriate. It's not professional. And I get it that in some people, it's a nervous habit, but just go right into it. Okay. So that's one of the things about the oral boards. It's not just about the content, but it's having the confidence in the content uh, and, and how you present yourself and present your answer. Okay. Uh, and another thing is like, well, I guess, uh, I guess it's this. If you guess, and pl- if you think that it's a guess, then that's fine. But please don't tell them that it's a guess. Be confident in your answer, right? So <laughs> that's the first thing. No, um, second, don't say I guess. And then third, uh, try not to answer with a voice crack because nothing gives the impression of confidence like, 
<laughs> I think it's two. I think it's two losses. Yeah, that kind of, um, uh, yeah, yeah. You kind of going south from there, Jack. All right. So <laughs> answer forcefully, answer correctly. <laughs> And say and know the data well. All right, my goodness, that none of this is on the script. Let let's just what I have here's just a little outline in front of me, guys. Is talk about the definition and all that nonsense came out of that. All right, so the definition of recurrent pregnancy loss number one depends on where you live. How about that? Because in the U.S., which is what matters to us, it is two or more consecutive failed clinical pregnancies. All right. So two or more consecutive failed pregnancies. So that already answers something that we talked about in the intro. So technically, and by the stringest definition, if somebody has a first pregnancy that's lost, second pregnancy is uneventful and has a term delivery that's healthy, third has a loss, then technically they're not recurrent pregnancy loss. I mean, they they just have two miscarriages that are sporadic and which happen. Remember that spontaneous losses happen anywhere in one in four to one in five pregnancies based on who you read. So according to the U.S. criteria, it is two or more consecutive failed clinical pregnancies. Um, uh, and that is a national criteria, a national definition, okay? But in the U.K., and this is why I said it depends on where you live, in the U.K., the definition is having three or more consecutive pregnancy losses. So if you really want to be fancy and somebody asks you on the oral boards, then you can really give them a complete answer, which is, yes, you, you know, doctor, I, I know that's kind of confusing, right? Because there's so much weird numbers being thrown out there. In the U.K., it's actually three or more consecutive pregnancy losses. But here in the U.S., the American Society of Reproductive Medicine, ASRM, uh, really uh, endorses the rule of two or more consecutive pregnancy losses. Bam! Now you look golden, you're sharp, uh, it's not arrogant, you just gave a very complete answer, and that's great. And and here's why the number of, is it two or is it three, also gets confusing even within the states uh, here within the U.S. And that has to do with antiphospholipid antibody syndrome. Okay, so which we'll get into in a minute, because that is something that you definitely should check for. But but this is, I think, where some of the confusion comes in, because some of the clinical factors that fit into APS criteria, not the lab issues, but the clinical factors have to do with with pregnancy loss. Now, remember that in order to have antiphospholipid syndrome, you have to have three or more unexplained spontaneous abortions under 10 weeks. In other words, three or more embryonic losses because after 10 weeks, the embryo magically now becomes a fetus, okay? So three or more spontaneous losses under 10 weeks is uh, one of the criteria for APS. Or you can have a single unexplained loss of a morphologically normal fetus at 10 weeks or more, all right? So one or more uh uh, loss at greater than 10 weeks, that's a fetal loss, or three or more uh, embryonic losses. So see how the numbers get kind of confusing, but that's only for APS. So while it's definitely okay to begin an investigation for causes of recurrent pregnancy loss after the second consecutive miscarriage, to fulfill the criteria for APS, it's three or more embryonic losses, one or more fetal loss, and then remember that it's also a history of preterm delivery at less than 34 weeks due to severe preeclampsia or fetal growth restriction not explained by another condition. Another diagnostic criteria 
includes uh, vascular thrombosis. Uh, and so remember that for laboratory criteria, this have to be confirmed twice, at least 12 weeks apart. And remember, that's the presence of lupus anticoagulant, anticardiolapin antibody, either IgM or IgG, and anti-beta-2 glycoprotein, both IgM or the IgG are valid, okay? So lupus anticoagulant, anticarlapin antibody, and anti-beta-2 glycoprotein, and either of those last two could be either IgG or IgM. Before we leave this little section on defining what we mean by recurrent pregnancy loss, we do need to give one extra explanation here, and that's that there's a difference between primary recurrent pregnancy loss and secondary recurrent pregnancy loss. Primary recurrent pregnancy loss occurs in women who have never given birth to a live child before, but secondary recurrent pregnancy loss occurs in those who've given birth previously to a live-born child, but then subsequently have two consecutive pregnancy losses or more, all right? So primary recurrent pregnancy loss, no previous live births, and then secondary recurrent pregnancy loss that happens after a woman has given birth to a live infant. All right, let's just take a quick break here and review what we're trying to discuss here. Okay, we're talking about recurrent pregnancy loss and what tests should be done. All right. Um, now, ASRM has a great review on this. I'll put the link, of course, in our references. Um, and, and it really hasn't changed for, for many, many years. That is the ASRM Practice Committee, which is the Evaluation and Treatment of Recurrent Pregnancy Loss. And it's their committee opinion. All right. And again, I'll post this. Uh, in our reference sheet. But but one thing that has been confusing for a lot of people is the issue of inherited thrombophilia. So let's just set this record straight right now before we get into the, the publication from June 2023. Um, inherited thrombophilia gives you clots. It does not give you recurrent pregnancy loss. Okay, so there you go. I've, I've spilled the beans already. We haven't even gotten to the publication. But there you go. So no, do not screen for inherited thrombophilia just because of recurrent pregnancy loss because it's confusing. And then, yeah, you may find a mutation. You're like, oh, that's interesting. But did, did that likely affect or cause the loss? No. Now, it's important to find the thrombophilia. Don't get me wrong. But, but treatment for that is not going to improve the outcomes. That's exactly what this June 2023 Lancet publication uh, found. And, and that's valid because that's what ACOG said back in 2018. So the fact that the Lancet and these authors, uh, you know, put the study together and this was published is still proof that we still haven't figured this thing out. And the fact that, again, this new intern, and even if you ask, uh, you know, a variety of people who just finished medical school, if you ask them, hey, we, tell me the work of a recurrent pregnancy loss. Somewhere in there, a certain percentage of them is gonna, are going to say, oh, you got, you got to make sure it's not an inherited thrombophilia. No, that's not right. <laughs> and this didn't come out again last year. It came out in 2018. And when ACOG finally put that in print, the data had already been there for at least three years before that. So we're talking 2015. <sighs> all right. So having said that, why don't we come back? Let me shake off all that frustration. <sighs> and then we're going to talk about ACOG's practice bulletin number 197 from July 2018 that describes why inherited thrombophilia evaluation is just not appropriate for recurrent pregnancy loss.
ACOG's Practice Bulletin number 197 came out in the summer in July of 2018, and it covered inherited thrombophilias in pregnancy. Uh, and it's great. It's when to give Lovenox either antepartum or postpartum, uh, what's considered a low-risk thrombophilia, what's considered a high-risk thrombophilia. But uh, I really want to focus on the issue of here of inherited thrombophilia and pregnancy loss, because that's the topic of, of interest here. That's our subject. Um, and this, again, by the time that this came out, this wasn't new data because they already summarized data that had already been out for at least three years. So I want to cover this very quickly because uh, the whole question of inherited thrombophilias and pregnancy loss really needs to be settled. I thought we had already done this. But, but again, once these authors put this publication out, uh, and even they have in a commentary said, hey, people are still ordering these tests and still ordering uh, Lovenox for recurrent pregnancy loss, even when they don't have a thrombophilia. What's that about? So maybe data will change later on. Maybe we'll, be, we'll find out in 10 years that, wow, giving Lovenox even without a thrombophilia actually prevents uh, miscarriage. Maybe that's a thing. But it's definitely not right now in August 2023. But let me read to you what ACOG says regarding inherited thrombophilias and recurrent pregnancy loss. Quote, prospective cohort studies have found no association between inherited thrombophilias and fetal loss. The Eunice Kennedy Shriver National Institute of Child Health and Human Development, MFM Units Network, tested low-risk women with a singleton pregnancy less than 14 weeks of gestation and found no increase in the incidence of fetal loss among women heterozygous for factor V Leiden. Similar findings of no increased risk of fetal loss were also noted for maternal carriers of the prothrombin G2210A gene mutation. Recent meta-analyses demonstrate no benefit of treatment with a prophylactic dose of low-molecular weight heparin to improve the rates of life birth in women with an inherited thrombophilia and a history of pregnancy loss when compared with no treatment or aspirin alone. All right, let's stop there because that, remember, we're talking about 2018. That quote right there is exactly what the ALIFE2 trial found that came out just two months ago in June of 2023. So you see, the data keeps repeating. So once again, if the data keeps repeating, then there has to be something there. ACOG goes on to say, quote, A Cochrane review also concluded that there was insufficient evidence to support the use of anticoagulants in women with recurrent pregnancy loss and an inherited thrombophilia and advocate for a randomized control trial to address this question further, end quote. All right, so ACOG says, look, the Cochrane Review says that um, anticoagulants, including aspirin or even low molecular weight heparin, that doesn't work. And that's even in patients with an inherited thrombophilia, so much less than those without one. All right, so that brings us now to June the 1st, 2023, where the ALIFE 2 trial was published in The Lancet. This study looked at whether low molecular weight heparin could improve the chance of a live birth for women who had an inherited thrombophilia who did meet criteria for recurrent pregnancy loss. So they had two or more miscarriages. Now let's stop here for just a minute because this study was specifically looking at the chance that low molecular weight heparin can help result in a live birth, okay? So getting out of the first trimester. This does not mean that those with some kind of inherited thrombophilia, whether it's a high-risk or a low-risk one, require antepartum VTE prophylaxis so they don't throw a clot, all right? So that's a separate issue. So just to be clear, this does not mean that women with inherited thrombophilia, especially if they're high-risk, that they don't need antepartum VTE coverage, but that's for VTE prophylaxis 
taxes. Remember, we're talking about specifically for, for the treatment of recurrent pregnancy loss. And as an aside, in that ACOG practice bulletin, remember that was practice bulletin 197 from 2018, it's table three. Okay, guys, so table three is a great reminder, great summary of who is recommended to have antepartum uh, VTE prevention, that's pharmacoprophylaxis, and then what what kind of postpartum uh, VTE coverage is required based on whether the patient has a low-risk thrombophilia, a high-risk one, and whether or not they have a personal history of a previous VTE. The college states that low-risk thrombophilia, if you all remember, includes things like factor V Leiden heterozygote, a prothrombin G2210A heterozygous patient, protein C or protein S deficiency. Those are all called low-risk thrombophilias. The high-risk thrombophilias includes factor V Leiden homozygosity, the prothrombin G 2210A homozygosity as well, and heterozygous for factor V and the prothrombin G2210 mutation at the same time, or if they have antithrombin deficiency, right? So low risk and then high risk, and then management for VTE coverage depends on whether or not uh, they have a previous history of VTE, but that's table three in practice bulletin 197, and we've actually covered that in previous episodes. All right, back to the Lancet study. This was an RCT that was conducted in the UK, the Netherlands, the US, Belgium, and Slovenia. This included 40 hospitals total, and it included 326 women with inherited thrombophilias who also met the diagnostic criteria of recurrent miscarriage based on two or more pregnancy losses. Now remember, this was an RCT and it was multi-site. Of these 326 women that were recruited, 164 received heparin across the course of their pregnancy. They started after a positive pregnancy test and ended at the start of labor. 162, therefore, were not offered the medication. Remember, this was based on randomization. All women also received the standard OB-led care and were, of course, encouraged to take their regular prenatal vitamins and folic acid. Now, here's the big clinical pearl. The rate of live births for each group was about the same. The risk of other pregnancy complications was also about the same for both groups. This included miscarriages, those babies born with low birth weight, the incidence of placental abruption, or preeclampsia didn't matter whether they had low molecular weight heparin or not. The trial lead investigator was Professor Quimby, who is Deputy Director at the Tommy's National Center for Miscarriage Research and Professor of Obstetrics at the University of Warwick. In a separate commentary, Professor Quimby stated, quote, Many women with recurrent miscarriage around the world are tested for inherited thrombophilias and are treated with heparin. Research now shows that this screening is not needed, the treatment isn't effective, and is giving false hope to many by continuing to offer it as a potential preventative treatment, end quote. Super, super adequate, super, super complete in just those phrases. And again, that's nothing new. That actually is ACOG stance back in 2018. But apparently, again, we didn't get the message. So what ACOG said back in the summer of 2018 is now repeating 
repeated in The Lancet in, in June of 2023. So five years after ACOG said, hey, don't screen for inherited thrombophilias if that's your only indication. And definitely don't treat them whether or not you find it because it doesn't seem to matter. Five years after that, here we have another international study, an RCT, a very well-designed one called the ALIFE2 trial that said about the same thing. So that's called uh, vindication and validation. All right, so now that we're at the end, let's just remind ourselves of the good evaluation for recurrent pregnancy loss. And we kind of alluded to one test or one set of tests already earlier on in the episode, which was testing for antiphospholipid syndrome if the clinical criteria is there, all right? So remember the diagnostic criteria requires one clinical and one laboratory abnormality to fit the uh, the protocol, to fit the criteria, but the lab criteria has to be repeated. Remember, it has to be positive twice, separate in time, at least 12 weeks apart. And the laboratory data was lupus anticoagulant, either IgG or IgM for either anticardiolipin or anti-beta-2 glycoprotein. What is evidence-based is an evaluation of both parents' uh, genetic material, so a parental karyotype using microarray to look for any kind of balanced translocation that may be contributing to the uh, to the fetal loss. Another thing that can be checked is either a 3D ultrasound or if you really want to go big guns, you can get a pelvic MRI to look for the uterine anatomy. You can also get an HSG or a sonohistorography, but really all that's been re- replaced with a good 3D ultrasound because that just provides so much uh, data, so much information uh, about the geographic shape, geometric shape of the uterus. And if you ever ask what kind of uterine anomaly has the highest rate of pregnancy loss, remember that it is the septate uterus, right? So the uterus with the septum has the highest incidence of pregnancy loss, anywhere from 40 to 44%, but that's fixable. You can resect that uh, with a hysteroscope. So that's the good news. And the other things that you can check includes screening for thyroid abnormalities, screening for diabetes, of course, and even hyperprolactinemia can cause alterations in the hypothalamic pituitary ovarian axis that some studies, but not all, uh, relate that to a short luteal phase and a progesterone issue. So that's not universal, but there is some evidence to that. So when we talk about uh, endocrine screening for recurrent pregnancy loss, typically it's uh, thyroid, diabetes, and then you can throw in hyperprolactinemia as part of that. And lastly, which is more of an academic discussion or academic answer, is that there are these molecular defects in the endometrium uh, and epigenetic changes in, in the genetic material of both sperm and and the ova, but and the of the oocyte. But you can't really do anything about that, and and those are really hard to check. So while epigenetics may be at play, we know that that's a factor. It's hard to test for that. That may fall into the you know no real diagnosis found, which happens about forty percent of recurrent miscarriage cases is because there's something at, at a molecular or epigenetic level that's just not able to be tested yet, uh, either in the gametes themselves or in the endometrial lining with molecular defects. If this was a gynecology issue, 
uh, remember that part of palm coin, that E, is, is the same thing. This is endometrial defects, weird molecular stuff that causes abnormal bleeding or, or altered receptivity. Uh, and so that would fit under the E for uh, abnormal uh, bleeding cases of the palm coin uh, system. Okay, so that's the E in palm coin in coin. Uh, these molecular defects of the endometrium that could potentially also cause recurrent pregnancy loss. Now, again, as we've already said, the question is, well, how do you test for that? Well, you really can't outside of uh, laboratory or experimental models. But, but the idea is just because it's unexplained doesn't mean that something is not going on. We just don't have the test to look for that and give it a name just yet. All right, podcast family, that brings us to a wrap. So, recurrent pregnancy loss. We've gone through the definition, the workup, and of course, as is stated in our title, stop checking for this. Stop checking for inherited thrombophilias if that's the only indication. Now, if the patient has a previous VTE or there's a concern for VTE, that's separate. And that's a whole other issue. That's VTE prevention. But we now know that even in women with inherited thrombophilias, giving them low molecular weight heparin does not do anything for the chance of recurrent pregnancy loss, for the chance of a live birth, because the mechanism is likely unrelated to the presence of the inherited thrombophilia. So, does inherited thrombophilia cause recurrent pregnancy loss? No, it causes clots. All right, podcast family, that's all we got. As always, we're thankful for you. We're glad you're part of our podcast community, and we'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls.